Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Hello and welcome back to Power Lines, from Ukraine to the world, a podcast from Message Heard and the Cave Independent. I'm Jakub Parushinsky. Each week, we're going to be analyzing the undercurrents of the war in Ukraine, bringing you analysis from across the globe to explain its context and consequences as the war continues. This week, we're continuing our look into politics across Europe, focusing on some elections that could change the nature of the conflict in Ukraine. And on Sunday, October 15th, we saw one of the most pivotal elections in Europe this year, in Poland. So Poland has been ruled by law and justice known as PiS in their Polish acronym, for the past eight years. And in that time, it's basically become a poster child for illiberal, alt-right, and other strongmen-driven countries around the world. The PiS government built up a system that was observed and emulated by strongmen from Erdogan in Turkey to Netanyahu in Israel, and of course, Viktor Orban in Hungary, for how to basically make their countries more authoritarian while still staying above the line of what actually constitutes a dictatorship. And things got bad. Peace took control of the media, of the courts, limited women's rights, leading to millions protesting on the streets of Poland every couple of months for different reasons. To understand just how significant the propaganda was, Timothy Gartenash, a commentator on Poland, once said that Polish state television makes Fox News look like the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. The level of propaganda was simply atrocious. On the other side, we have an opposition that is mostly pro-European, liberal, and then has various shadings from center-right to center-left. Mostly it's the Civic Coalition, which is a sort of Christian Democrat kind of party. There is now Third Way, which is a combination of a centrist and a agrarian party, as well as the New Left, which is a very classical social democrat European political platform. But what really made the difference in these elections is the return of Donald Tusk, the former president of the European Council and former prime minister of Poland. He and Jarosław Kaczynski, a leader of peace, have a feud going on for decades at this point. And both figures are rather polarizing. They have their lovers and their haters, but they're both coming at the question with very different views of where the country should be. Jarosław Kaczyński sees Poland as a country that needs to be a sovereign nation, relatively isolated from the world, traditional, conservative, very much in the likes of 
the kind of strongman regimes that you have across the Eurasian uh, supercontinent. Tusk, as the former president of the European Council, has quite a different vision. He sees a Poland that's in Europe, that is actively engaged with the West, and that champions what I would call classical humanist values with a certain level of liberalism, both in the economy and society. And then on the edge, we have Confederation, a openly anti-Ukrainian, anti-European, and rather pro-Russian organization of far-right nationals who have been pulling peace to the right. So what was the result? Well, Poland's lower house of parliament, which is really decisive here, has 460 seats. And you need 230 of them to have a vote of confidence and start a new government. Law and Justice was hoping to get, at least in that vicinity, potentially with the addition of the votes from Confederacja. And it didn't get there. It got 194 seats. And with Confederacja's 18, only gets to 212 seats. The coalition of opposition parties, including the Civic Coalition, the Third Way, and the New Left, got a total of 248, enough to form the government. But that doesn't mean that they will take power straight away. Actually, the road ahead could be rather challenging, and the process could go on for a while, which we'll talk about later. So why does all of this matter for Ukraine? Well, first of all, Poland is the logistical hub of the whole war. It is the essential piece in Ukraine being able to continue the fight. And Confederacja, for example, has issued threats that they would create disruptions to the airport in Zeszów or the train station in Przemyśl, both key choke points for moving things in and out of Ukraine. But the Polish-Ukrainian relationship is about much more. There are long economic ties. There are millions of Ukrainians currently living in Poland. And the two countries have a shared, if difficult, history. Relations between the two have actually gotten quite bad in recent months due to a couple of feuds, including a notorious grain ban. The elections now offer a fresh start, but perhaps even something more for Ukraine. With a potential prime ministership of Donald Tusk, again, a leader of the European Union in the past, Ukraine has a potential partner that could fast-track its path to the European Union if it's able to engage Poland effectively. Whether that will happen or not is something that we talked about this week with Jakub Gurnicki, a journalist and media manager from Poland. Jakub is the founder of Outriders, a Polish news organization that writes about global issues for a Polish audience. He's been covering the war in Ukraine for years, and even more so since the full-scale invasion, so I invited him onto power lines to discuss what happened last week in Poland, what it means for the country's often fractious relationship with Ukraine, and how it will change the face of European politics more generally. Jakub, welcome to Powerlines. Hello, Jakub. Thank you for having me. Could you, just to start us off, tell us a little bit about your work? So I work in the organization called Outraders. We provide Polish audience 
with the news and updates about uh, different uh, events which happened outside of Poland, whether it's breaking events or important events such as Russian invasion in Ukraine or currently the conflict in Israel and Palestine, or we produce stories about environmental issues, um, migration and so on. And you have an extensive experience in Ukraine, which I would love to get to a little bit later, because this is also one of the important dimensions to consider. But before that, I think, first of all, we need to say we're recording this on the late afternoon of Tuesday, October 17th. The final tally is in. It looks very much like a confirmed victory for the opposition coalition. Yes. What is the mood like right now in Poland? So, first of all, I think the majority of people is happy because we have to say that the, those three parties, which are considered the democratic, the liberal opposition, have gathered four million votes more than uh, law and justice, PIS, peace, how you want to call them. So the party which has been ruling for the past eight years and for sometimes still, whether it's days or weeks, depending how the transition of power will happen, will be in power. So that's the that's the first thing. I think the most important factor besides the win, of course, of the, the of the opposition is that over 74% of uh, Polish people eligible to vote went to actually do it, which is the highest turnaround in the history of Polish democracy. It's even more than 1989 elections, although they were partially free, let's say, but considered important. And then uh, later on, I mean, there have been elections where there was like 50 something percent of the people showing up to the vote, whereas this 74, that's basically, you know, three out of four people in many districts uh, in Warsaw, I think it's around 84, 85%, with some districts with 90%, which is incredible, which shows how important those elections have been uh, to the Polish society. It gives, I think, uh, enormous legitimacy and also pressure for the uh, soon to be the new government. But it also, you know, shows, I think, the commitment to, to certain values which uh, Poland stands for and the Polish people stands, uh, stand for. It's clear in which direction the society wants to go. It's also clear what the society doesn't want. And uh, especially what was, you know, pissing people off, I think, especially during the second term of the law of justice, uh, which is 2019 up until, up until now. I think first, uh, we just need to spend a moment, you know, for two Polish guys, this this should come quite naturally and just talk about why <laughs> Poland is so important. I think one thing to, to bear in mind, and, you know, this came across in conversations that I've had with people all over the world, there's been a trend towards these kind of whatever you want to call it, uh, you know, nationalistic, conservative, alt-right, eurosceptic, people who sort of shy away from liberalism and and globalization and all of this th these kind of values and poland was very much a poster child for that movement it hosted that movement poland was the the center of this um rebirth of illiberal civilization so i think that's a really important aspect to it and you know the attempt to take over or or sort of for the opposition to win it failed in turkey it failed in in hungary it failed in so many countries so i think that's a huge symbolic win i think all over the world is that is that something that's present in poland as well this feeling yeah i think so there is a couple of reasons why you know uh we managed to break out of this 
it's uh, first of all, I think that we still, even though, especially the state-owned media, the public TV channel and public radio stations, although they have been controlled by the government and they have become a tube of really disgusting propaganda, still, when it comes to the media operating on the free market, besides the local press being bought out by the government-controlled state-owned com petrol company, by the way, that has uh, the, the flow of free information and the amazing work of many investigative reporters. Uh, and all the other media that has been one of the key things uh, which led to this but on the other thing i think what's really important is that simply this government didn't notice how the society is changing mm -hmm. and that the polish people are becoming more progressive uh, our society has more migrants in it yeah uh, not only ukraine but people from different countries and that the fabric of the society is simply different the needs are different and uh, at the end of the day i think the arrogance mixed with the brutality of propaganda is something what made made people like saying just this is not what we want and the fact that you know we still were able to to vote but you know be surrounded mostly most of us by the access to the free information and i think of a, uh, in the end a very good uh, campaign led by the free opposition parties and very bad campaign by the law and justice uh, party yeah so I wanted to ask you, you know, everyone talks about free and fair elections. Was it, w mm -hmm. was this election free and was it fair, the two sort of separately? Mm, no, I don't think it was fair election, you know, especially because uh, we're talking about state controlled, our public media, you know, they have law, which they should obey, you know, which is serve all the public, whereas it was serving basically the, the needs of one party, which was ruling. And they were not, for example, showing any public meetings, public gatherings of any of the opposition parties. You know, we had the same situation in 2020 during the presidential elections. Many people believe that if that coverage of that election would be back then held more uh, fairly, the outcome would could be different because the difference between Duda, Andrzej Duda, our current president, and Rafał Trzaskowski, who was the runner-up, was just very little. So I think that was a lesson learned also from that 2020. Also, the fact that opposition politicians came back to the public broadcaster, they stopped boycotting it and so on. It was, it was never pleasant. It was like watching this was just disgusting, you know. But the fact that they went and they... I entered that field, I think was also crucial. It also showed people that they really want to make the change. And I think that feeling that they can win was something crucial for all the voters, you know, because in the last elections, you couldn't feel that, yes, the opposition can win. That feeling was not there. Uh, whereas this time people really believed that the change is possible. And I think this is also what motivated people to go to elections in such a high number uh, as uh, they did. Okay, I'm I'm gonna move on to to sort of like what happens next, but just one final question that I'm curious about. So Poland was for a long time the playbook of how do you build an authoritarian society. Mm -hmm. Was the performance of the opposition so good that it now has a playbook of how to bring it apart, or did they get lucky? <laughs> Well, actually, this uh, comeback of the opposition to power began in the end of 2020, when the law and justice using the constitutional tribunal made a change to the abortion law, uh, rendering it from rigorous to basically non-existent. 
And uh, the, the the massive protests which began back then, where I think if we were going back, this is where basically Unjusted started to lose. First of all, they lost 10% of the popularity mm -hmm. in, in polls, and they never basically made it back. Second thing, it led to creation of many women movement, it woken up a lot of people in the civic society. Later on, we have, I think the very important moment was still the return of Donald Tusk to the politics. Mm -hmm. uh, whether someone agrees with him or not, he changed the, he changed the game. He's a political force, I mean, to be reckoned with, yeah. He's a political force, he made unpopular moves among voters of the democratic opposition, which later people started to understand in many cases. He took a very hard stand on the migration. He wasn't falling for all the traps which were being set for him by the by the government propaganda. You know, he, he said he will not take down the wall, for example, on the Polish-Belarusian border um, and so on and so on. So, and for that, he was criticized by some of the um, opinion leaders, even among other oppositions. But later on, people understood that he's just also, he understands the game slightly better. And I use the game because it was kind of set up like this, you know? Uh, you have to understand when you fight with such powers that, uh, well, you have to play differently. And then I think, you know, in the end, also very important role here was, I think, the Russian invasion in Ukraine and the question of security, uh, of feeling um, a secure played an important role in all the surveys of Polish society, the safety, is number one, number two issue generally understood. You know, people feel that you know, with uh, with this conflict, with the situation still ongoing migration situation on Polish Belarusian border. Let's look at what the road ahead has for us. And you know, the coalition has won on paper. Mm -hmm. Peace has already announced that they will be. Various deputies have announced that they will be a difficult opposition. That they will try to drive a wedge between the coalition partners. They'll try to make this whole thing fall apart. But first, we have the decisions of actually forming a government, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the president has to nominate a PM. Historically, that was from the biggest party. So now it would be peace. Although on paper, the constitution says that. It it should be somebody who is selected by the majority of parliament. Then we have 14 days to form a coalition, get a vote of confidence. How sort of comfortable are people in Warsaw and across Poland feeling today that, you know, this good news will translate into a good result in the coming weeks or, you know, by the end of the year? I think there is understanding that uh, they will do what they can to prolong this process and to use this extra time and, you know, push those deadlines to the maximum in order to prepare different traps, in order to still take some money out of different companies. You know, winter is coming for, for them and they have to somehow control it. Although it's still unclear, we may be surprised, of course, uh, maybe the president will just uh, nominate actually the the opposition, it's very hard to judge. You know, historically, only on a couple of occasions, he has, uh, I mean, uh, our president, Andrzej Duda, uh, he has, let's say, did something against the party which he represents, you know, which is law and justice. So I think this will be a surprise if he suddenly would say, okay, I understand that it's pointless to nominate um, a PM from law and justice because this person will anyhow will not get a confirmation vote in the parliament. So it's just wasted time. 
But I think uh, at this stage, I would be leaning towards that he will still do it. We mentioned uh, four parties here. So the winning law and justice, the, the free liberal opposition parties, the civic platform or the civic coalition, the third road, and then the new lefties, Nova Levica. And then there is the Confederacia, Confederation, which consists of more far right uh, people. But even this uh, confederation doesn't want to enter any coalition with law and justice. Plus, even if they were uh, to, they still don't have enough votes together to do this. So it's just going to be like waste of time. It's not going to be easy. First of all, like right now it's for the um, opposition. You know, they know how much they got. So, you know, that will probably transfer into how many ministers you get, which of the key positions, you know. So it's not going to be a process, you know, that, you know, boom, two days and it's done. Yeah. We have to also remember that uh, President Andrzej Duda will remain in power and uh, basically for two more years, slightly less. And he has the right to veto according to how the Polish political system works. If he vetoes it, then if he vetoes it and the opposition doesn't have enough power, they would need 270 something votes. So it's going to be a process, you know, when I think the expectation would be that the president would be rather well, not helping, I would say, the yeah. government. Let's yeah. put it this way, diplomatically, you know? So zooming out a little bit to Poland's role in, in, in the region, which is quite significant. I mean, this is, you know, Poland is a motor of the European uh, Union's economy. It's the sixth, sixth biggest economy, and it's been growing for, you know, almost uninterrupted, if not for COVID, for over three mm -hmm. decades. So this is this is a, a an important country. It is at the middle of the three seas, initiative of building infrastructure in the east of the of the European Union, which I would say is de desperately needed. And if you want proof, just try to visit Prague, Warsaw and Riga uh, on the same uh, two days. It's not that easy, right? The connections in the whole region are pretty poor and there's a pivotal role for Poland there. And then most importantly, I guess it's about Ukraine, right? Yeah. Poland is the logistics hub for the war in Ukraine. Confederacja, I think, threatened um, openly, not so openly, that they're going to make life, life difficult for Ukraine, you know, blocking the airports in Rzeszów, the station in Przemysl and, and other things like that. How do you see sort of Poland's role in the region going forward, especially towards Ukraine, where it's playing such an important role? Okay, so before I jump to Ukraine quickly on EU, but I think this will be the starting point for the government. It will change for the region one thing, you know, up until today, first of all, uh, Poland and Hungary were vetoing things in EU. And I think, you know, it will drastically change uh, things for Viktor Orban because he doesn't like to be the only person to veto things, you know, then he could come back to his uh, people and say, okay, look, it's not only us, it's also Poland blocking things. So it's different. Uh, right now, it's going to pro probably go to be only him so this will change rapidly for him although we've had also a change differently in slovakia uh, with the prime minister fico coming back which is very much openly anti-ukrainian but in the so-called visegrad states i think poland uh, going back into more pro-european course will be something which will play a very important role and this will for sure transfer into the relations with ukraine which started off when the Russian invasion began, and I think the first year, they were just like a poster relations when it comes to a country in need and a country which is helping. But as the elections were approaching, it was easier, for example, to sneak in those anti-Ukrainian sentiments, different narratives. There are unfinished 
unresolved issues between Poland and Ukraine, uh, given the history. And that is always this window which allows those uh, actors, whether they are domestic or uh, foreign, meaning Russian here, to misuse them in order to spike them up. And we've seen a lot of those activities, especially last in between two months, law and justice adopted a lot of anti-Ukrainian rhetorics from the Confederacja. They noticed that they were losing uh, some voters and Confederacja was gaining them running on this largely anti-Ukrainian agenda. And that, of course, was sparked by the crisis when it comes to the Ukrainian grain, how the government mishandled it. And this is where opposition was already saying last year that the solution which the government proposed was bad and that it is going to be in the in the, in a way the government uh, implemented it will very soon lead to problems on internal Polish market. And this happened. And that turned to be ugly. What happened uh, around the uh, UN uh, summit in New York, President Zelensky, uh, our prime minister, President Duda actually tried to save the situation. And he, it seemed that they managed to negotiate something. But the next day, uh, Prime Minister Morawiecki, Polish prime minister, came out and basically said something again, anti-Ukrainian government. And after this, it kind of stopped, but it was, you know... So just just to clarify, this is the statement about Poland not delivering weapons to Ukraine. I mean, they were purposely provocative. I think, like, you know, people defended Morawiecki. What he said was that we are not currently delivering weapons to Ukraine, but the point was not that. The point was to make a, a sound bite that would go around and kind of say that, look, yeah. we're, we don't have to be friends, right? Like, don't disrespect us. Uh, I'm, I'm wondering, you mentioned sort of the, the three members of the coalition. Mm -hmm. The most interesting one from this perspective, I think, is third way, because it it takes a lot of this um, historically PSL, which was an agrarian party, and it has a very agrarian base. Is that sort of the weak member of the coalition that peace can potentially target to take things apart? No, 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 because, you know, they understand that they actually received an extra vote yeah. from people who are afraid that they are not going to make it to the to the parliament. I know many people, like, you know, personally, who are like saying, okay, I would vote for this party, but damn, if they don't enter the parliament and the whole thing collapses and the law and justice stays in power. I don't think that they are going to break because they will not have life in politics for yeah. sure if they would if they would rebel. Plus, everybody knows how law and justice treats its coalition partners. So that's that's quite interesting. The reason I'm thinking about that is Ukraine entering the EU, which is sort of where the long-term perspective is here, is very disruptive mm -hmm. for the EU, just given how big Ukraine's agricultural sector is. And and directly yes. it also impacts Poland because, you know, a lot of the... Well, it affects many countries in EU. It's, you know, it's France. So it's not only Poland. And so I'm wondering whether whether this will be because there will be challenges ahead, right? And there is the previous mm -hmm. government that was run by the same people as are now in the coalition, the opposition coalition, was to a large extent brought down by, in my opinion, Russian special service operations, right? The yeah. the secret recordings of politicians in restaurants, you know, and there's been multiple sort of reports that have, you know, intelligence services uh, fingerprints all over them. That desire to have Poland fail, have Ukraine fail is still there, right? Of course. Where is it going to target, right? That's kind of my question. 
Mm, oh, I mean, first of all, this the scandal which you're mentioning, it was never properly actually understood. And um, I don't think the law and justice had any interest in actually, you know, making it understandable uh, for the people because there was a big chance that, hey, we have to tell people that we are actually in power because of um, because of some Russian intelligence operation. That was many reasons. But we have to be also fair that in 2015, a lot of people were fed up by the civic platform. And they've had a really bad campaign. They also have been in power back then for eight years and they've been simply like used and and kind of learned justice when I was looking at their campaign. It really reminded me of that, you know, and then it's just, you know, tired, arrogant, disconnected from people. But I cannot compare the level of this arrogance uh, to what was happening in 2015 with the civic platform. Those are two totally different dimensions, you know. Now, just going back slowly to Ukraine. So I think, first of all, the I'm going to say opposition because they haven't yet formed the government. And that's kind of easier. I have to switch my mind. They would not sacrifice Polish-Ukrainian relations just to get some extra votes. I think this is the difference between liberal and illiberal opposition. The second thing, I think... One of the things which is important for the new government is to use this opportunity, uh, which was created last year, to finally resolve all the issues quickly between Poland and Ukraine. Those historical things, you know, have both sides address it, because I think this is a window. If it, if it's going to be left open, Russians will always use it. Always. And frankly speaking, you know, Poland has this... Uh, like peace protests between Poland and Germany after 1999, you know, just journalists involved, think tanks, uh, different institutions. And if Poland was able to somehow resolve things be with Germany, it's uh, the problems between Poland and Ukraine are nothing compared to the, uh, to those. And I think this is really important, you know, which is like those holes in our history, they have to be really fixed, given how much willingness is there towards this, I think, from Polish people and from Ukrainian people. And I'm not seeing here politicians, because that's unfortunately a different problems for some politicians. It always would be tempting not to do it because then they can use this in their agenda and so on. And even using this moment right now where Ukrainian politics, although slightly more active in recent months than, you know, last year, it's still, I think, a good moment where I would really use this opportunity to just say, OK, if we want to go into it to the next level, which is needed for many important things, which is A, helping Ukraine join EU, B, helping Ukraine join, join NATO, and then C, once this goes, you know, help Belarus also achieve democracy, but there it's going to be much more complicated. And uh, Ukraine entering uh, EU is a problem on a couple of levels. First of all, it's a big country. So, you know, the number of votes and so on. And if Ukraine would enter... EU, it would allow Eastern Europe to be actually very active, yeah. you know, when it comes to votes and so on. So I think this would make this shift that EU would be more balanced in all dimensions, you know, South, North, uh, East, West. Right now, France and Germany, given their population and, you know, population gives you power when it comes to votes in the parliament and so on. So that's the first thing. Second thing, yes, there will be challenges, I think, to, to the <laughs> very important voting groups for many countries. But it's only a question how you tackle it. And I think, you know, if you create programs, you know, helping, and I've recently read, you know, that there were some ideas how to help the Polish farmers to prepare for this situation when at some point 
uh, Ukraine is joining EU, even if it's fast tracked, we are talking a couple of years away. Also, you know, one thing is to join EU, but then EU has those different levels of oh, it's a process yeah, um, yeah, yeah. of joining when it comes to job markets and so on. I think the current opposition understands the importance of Ukraine joining both EU and NATO. That this is like in a super goal for Poland's security, but it's not going to be easy for certain parts of Polish society. So just to double down on that and maybe sort of, I think that's also a good place to wrap things together. It will require social change, right? On both sides. And, you know, you've traveled to Ukraine extensively before the full-scale yeah. invasion and especially after many of the Outriders journalists are, are there, uh, were based there. Let me put it this way. What do Poles not understand about Ukrainians? What do Ukrainians not understand about Poles? <laughs> I may actually not have like the most popular opinion here, but uh, for me, what I was thinking, especially during the first days and first weeks uh, of the war, is that both Polish and Ukrainian society send a signal to politicians saying our quarrels are not that important. And just stop this shit, solve it. When it comes to really big issues, we are here to support each other. And I think that is something on what we have to build, you know? When it comes to understanding, I think right now we actually understand quite well, very well. I mean, there's so many Ukrainians in Poland, less, of course, than it has been last year. And some, a lot of uh, Ukrainians have uh, come back to Ukraine. Some have left to different countries, but a lot has stayed um, probably for longer. You know, in, in my daughter's class, 20 pupils, three of them are from Ukraine, for example, currently, you know, so that gives you, that gives you an idea. There was more last year. A lot of them have uh, returned. So I think the fabric of the Polish society has changed. And I think, you know, unfortunately for Ukraine, a lot of those people will stay for longer, for example, here, you know, it's especially if, you know, when you have a when you have kids and those kids start to integrate, develop friends, it's much, much harder for parents, you know, to relocate and uh, relocate back and so on once the um, a certain level of integration, you know, it's a matter of interpretation of certain facts. You know, and uh, I think always the best concept here was EU, always. These days we look at EU as the like money pot, whereas EU was invented, the money was not the goal. The money, the joint market, you know, the, was uh, a mean to stop the conflicts in Europe. And um, that was, I think, the beauty of it. And uh, that's, I always hope that you will be more talking about its original vision than just the financial side of it, because then it just becomes numbers. Whereas it's all about solidarity and, you know, helping the different divides created, especially by the Second World War in many European countries, you know, being under either Soviet rule or communist rule for many years. I don't know. I mean, there is nothing super specific here. It's just about, you know, uh, confronting those facts from two sides, being open, being able to respect you know, the other side look on it and then saying, okay, this is what you think. This is what I think. Let's digest it on both sides and not just let's not, you know, jump emotionally just because someone said something like this, you know, I think different sides have different looks uh, on, on certain things. One is Vowing. The second thing is Lviv, you know, the sentiment mm -hmm. towards Lviv in Polish yeah. society and which is used always by Russians saying, you know, yeah, Poles, they want the Lviv back, you know, 
So it's about confronting this and, you know, it's different, like saying, okay, yes, Lviv is today in Ukraine, but hey, it was once upon a time, it was an important, you know, center of Polish intelligentsia and so, and so on and so on. And just adopting those two things, you know, I always say, <laughs> it's really funny. One of the joint facts is that the first football game for Poles and Ukrainians is the same <laughs> game. Okay. So that's maybe a good starting point, you know, sport as a, as a uniting field. So, and the other way is just, you know, finding those commonalities rather than things which divide, you know, as a good starting point. Certainly uh, an optimistic sort of message. I imagine that's going around in Warsaw, this uh, optimism uh, these days. Jakub, thank you so much for joining us on Powerlines. Thank you for having me. I'm always a huge fan. Thanks so much for listening to Powerlines, from Ukraine to the world. To find more podcasts like Powerlines, look up Message Heard wherever you're listening to this podcast and find us on our website, messageheard.com, or on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by looking up at Message Heard. You can also follow The Cave Independent on Twitter and Facebook, at Cave Independent, and Instagram, at Cave Independent underscore official, to get the latest news and stay up to date with our coverage. You can support The Cave Independent on our Patreon or by going to our website and clicking the support button.